Hello and welcome to episode 58 of the UC Architects, the world's most popular exchange, Office 365 and Skype for Business podcast. Today's episode was recorded on the 24th of July, 2016. I'm your host, Pat Richard. And today I am uh, uh, hooking up with uh, John Cook, Tom Arbuthnot, and Steve Goodman to bring you all the, the goodness that is Microsoft today. So welcome, guys. Thank you. Hello. Been a while. Good to see you. Yeah, it's been a while. Been a very long while. I talk to you all the time, but, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, so top stories. Two things not super uh, related to UC, but big events uh, nonetheless. The first is, uh, it looks like Microsoft is going to shutter Microsoft Press. They let uh, a bunch of their editorial staff go. Actually, the remaining editorial staff. Um, And this is kind of sad. I mean, uh, I've read... Definitely more than my share of Microsoft Press books, and uh, I'm, I'm kind of sad to see these go. But on the other hand, having just finished writing another book and questioning how much more tech books are going to be written versus resources that you can find online and you know podcast and videos and, and other things, I mean, uh, what, do you, what do you guys think? Do you think this was inevitable that, that this was going to happen? And do you think that this is part of a demise of, of technical books? I think, I think like you say, it's a sign of the times, isn't it? Things move so fast now, that traditional uh, press model of kind of, you know, going through a press house, even Microsoft's took quite a while, you know, some of us have been involved in books there and uh, know the process. It's It's just too slow for this kind of aggressive cloud world. Right, you, you've talked about it just now. I mean, even in, in, you know, going through the whole process of writing a book, by the time you write anything down, it's already outdated. You know, by the time, and then the time, how long it takes to get the book actually out, you know, um, yep. and all the editing rounds and all that stuff. It's yeah, it's I can see it in one hand, but on the other hand, you know, sometimes that long form is better to do certain types of topics than just a blog article. You know, not all blog articles are going to be like Jeff Shirts, you know, length and quality and depth. You know, a lot of times they're just like, oh, here, here's problem A, solution B, and you don't really get necessarily all the you know, the, the, the background, like you might get in a book chapter about, you know, one subject. But so I see both sides, I guess, you know, it's, it does suck. And I guess a lot of the books that were in flight are, go, are just going to be, you know, never going to happen, which, you know, it's got to be. Well, I, 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 I think you're working still, on one, right? They'll still continue to, to make them, but they've outsourced some of that process anyway. So uh, sadly, one of the people impacted was uh, the editor on, uh, on my Microsoft Press book, and it's sad to see it happen. Um, yeah. and they are important, you know, to, to that, to that whole process in terms of, you know, finding the right people for the book, uh, making sure that they work together, pushing you and pushing you to actually get on with it like a project manager. Uh, and it's, you know, it, it's important if, if, if it's multiple authors on a single book or it's, it's not a topic that, um, the authors have came up with themselves. You'd think it would be in Microsoft's interest, like as the other publishers fall off because it's kind of more niche or harder, that Microsoft would prop that ecosystem up because it's in their interest to have depth technical books. But you know, I I, I remember a couple of years ago, I I saw a Facebook thread that Tony Redmond, myself and a few others were involved in. And there were some people commenting about books and stuff like that. And uh, some people were saying, uh, I thought it was a rather stupid thing to say, to be honest. But they were saying, you know, if we don't pass an exam, you know, or, or the stuff's written in the book is wrong, then the author should have updated it. 
You think, well, that's not how it works. There's not a process to go and update the book after it's done. It's it, it, the, the whole that whole model just isn't great because it doesn't pay very well to write a book. You you, you you're doing it probably for less than minimum wage. Oh, for well less for than minimum wage. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, it's it's, <laughs> it's it's hard work. It takes a lot out of you, yep. and you regret starting it. Um, and you think oh, I could have done so much. So many better things with this time as you go through. You're proud of it when you've done it, right? But it's still very, very hard to do. And then people come and say, well, you know, it's out of date. Well, of course yeah. it is. Uh, yep. I remember, and sometimes it takes a long time for Microsoft to get, to, to get around to writing the book. Uh, and even when they're, you know, they're quick on it, it still takes a, a while to, to get people to actually write it. Uh, you know, it can be easily, you know, six, six months or more. And I, I think, yeah, Sometime after that conversation, Tony Redmond uh, got together with Paul uh, Cunningham and Michael Van Hybrid, Van Horenbeek, to write the Office 365 for IT Admins. And, and I think that's that's the right model for that kind of book that Microsoft used to do. Kind of much, uh, a book that starts out as an ebook to be, you know, it's never going to be paper. It's just always going to be. It's a, it's a yeah, book. I, it's a book that has a process to get it up to date. So it's regularly revised, yeah. and that's that's the difference. Uh, because yes, it's, it, it will become out of date, but knowing that it's going to be updated and it's going to be current over time and improved means that it's it's worth having that book. Because if it changes in three months' time, there's going to be a revision to it, uh, and you see it's regularly revised. And, and that that is far far better than the kind of book that Microsoft Press can do, because Microsoft Press can write a book to teach you the basics of of something that's going to be fairly static, like PowerShell, or get you through an exam that stays the same for some time. But for technology that's just changing on a day-to-day basis, then you're not going to be able to pay someone enough money to write a book that's going to be so far out of date by the time it's published that they'll never, ever make any royalties off it. Um, it's, it's, there's, you know, it's, it's inevitable that something like this would have happened. Uh, and the, the impact of, of self-published books is so great. But I, I kid you not, I was, in a, I was in a meeting with a customer, and they benched early on and said, I bought an Office 365 book, actually. Um, and we were through the meeting, we were talking about different types of exchange migration. And uh, and I hadn't asked what the book was, but I got to a point where we were talking about different types, and I thought, I bet you there's a 50-50 chance that, that they bought Tony's book, because why would you buy any other book? You know, of, of all the... Of all the books that people have said about Office 365, they came up to me and said, yeah, I bought this book. You know, it's really good by one of your you know, fellow MVPs. Uh, it's always that book. And and I said, uh, I said, did you read the chapter on cutover migrations? So, uh, and uh, I said, yes. So, uh, there's, there's something about that, and you'll see. But it's not just me saying it and, and explained, you know, what, what was written in the book. Uh, but that's the, that's the impact of self-publishing where, uh, you know, today you don't go. Did you look, did you look at the Microsoft book on it? You, you you're thinking about the most popular self-published books, and I think a few years ago that just wouldn't have been the case. Uh, and because that is the case, that's why we don't have uh, editors being employed by Microsoft Publishing anymore, sadly. Yeah, you know, so I just finished writing uh, Skype for Business Unleashed, um, which will be out uh, next month. So there's my little plug. Um, and 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 John wrote a chapter too, so he he can attest to this, but. Um, hey. Actually, John, you can attest to this very much because 
the chapter that you wrote was about the Mac client, which of course has evolved significantly. <laughs> right. By the time the book comes out, my chapter is going to be worthless. Yeah. 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 So yeah. And and I keep telling myself this is the third book that I've worked on, and I every time I tell myself I'll never do this again because <laughs> it takes so much flipping work, like you said, Steve. And you make so little money um, that really the only thing that you get out of it is that byline in your resume. It, it looks good, and it's a lot of flipping work, and it's out, you know, it's outdated before it, it you know, the publisher hits the print button. Um, this, I, I really, you know, years ago, you're right, Steve. Years ago, I would have, I would have never uh, envisioned self-publishing a book and having it get any kind of traction. But now that seems like the way to do it because. You know, several things have come out since uh, since we started working on our book. You know, the um, large meetings and and some other features in Skype for Business that you know aren't even in the book because they hadn't been announced yet. And when you self-publish, then you can add on to the book. Not only can you update the chapters that are there, but you can add more chapters. Um, and and I think that's that's beneficial. During the course of writing Skype for Business Unleashed, uh, our publisher. Um, laid off over 4,000 people. And for a while, for a week or so, we didn't even know if they were going to continue with our project. It was uh, it was all up in the air. Unfortunately, they decided to go ahead with it. But, um, you know, that was kind of a nail-biting thing. We were, you know, three-quarters of the way through writing the book and had already received partial payment. And, you know, what was going to happen? Were they going to let us, if they weren't going to publish, were they going to let us go ahead and just take the material and publish it ourselves or whatever? Um, so I can definitely see where the, the old school uh, printed uh, book ideas, especially tech books, you know, our book's over a thousand pages, um, is going by the wayside and we'll see more interactive or more uh, self-publishing or more electronic-based publishing where things can be updated far more often and be and, and certainly be, um, you know, more relevant for a longer period of time. So I, I can't say I'm surprised by Microsoft Press's decision but um it's sad to see you know people that you know put all their hard work into you know putting out some great technical books that you know are are no longer going to be part of the organization yeah next up um an acquisition for microsoft so first they let go some people and now they made a huge (laughs) acquisition LinkedIn, what is up with this? What do you guys think about this? This kind of caught me well, off guard. Well, I think, you know, it's a great, I think LinkedIn is a great site and a great tool, and, you know, I use it to keep in touch with people and, and find out. You know, sometimes I'll miss stuff on Twitter, and I'll see it on LinkedIn in the newsfeed. So I think it's a great tool. Is it $26 billion in cash good? I, I don't know, but I'm, you know, I'm not a smart CEO of a company, a billion-dollar company. I'm just a guy. <laughs> it's like, so I don't know. I, I can't imagine in, in what planet that it's worth $26 billion in cash, but, hey, what do I know? Right? Maybe in the planet where you want to sell everybody on LinkedIn Office 365? <laughs> yeah, maybe. I, <laughs> You know, again, it has become sort of the de facto, you know, networking tool, and it's more, it's, you know, job postings, and it's, you know, it's everything business-related that you can kind of, you know, think of, but, you know, but then so is Facebook in some ways, too, whether you know, people want to, re- re- you know, admit it or not, that a lot of business gets done on Facebook, and every business has a Facebook page, it seems, right? So, and so maybe that's part of it, maybe it's sort of hedge a bet, bet against Facebook just become the de facto place for that, uh, I don't know, but, again, like I said, I, the site's great, I just... I, it depends on the audience money. you want. <laughs> yes. One of the most valuable things with LinkedIn when it's integrated into, into Outlook is be able to see who you're who you're meeting with. You know, yeah, I do like that. I, I, I love those those LinkedIn integrations. Uh, so it makes some sort of sense. And for business to business, uh, you know, social network it is the tool. 
uh, and it's got everybody on it as well. You know, it's, it, it's, it, it has a far wider user base than, than Yammer uh, for uh, of professional people. So I, I, I think it's positive. Is that is that you make a comparison there to Yammer? Is that the comparison you're thinking that this is? No, this is, it's, it's obviously it's, just obvious. A, it's a better acquisition than Yammer. Is that what you're saying? I'm not saying anything. Well, I think it's, I think they're different products. I think, you know, I mean, yeah. Yammer is more of the, yeah. I mean, now, now, now Yammer versus, out, you know, uh, you know, groups in 365, that's a whole other, you know, set like, do we need both, you know, that kind of thing, but. Well, what I'm getting to is, is, it's easy to compare the two as if they're similar because you've got us, you've got an enterprise social network which is aimed at people within a business to work openly together. And then you've got a business social network which is aimed at people across different businesses to communicate and get in touch, all the individuals that, you know, rather than the organizations themselves. Uh, so there, there's some, there's some similarity. Uh, but it's, it's more like, a, this is the thing, right? People can say, Yammer, what's Yammer? Well, it's like Facebook for your enterprise. And you can look at LinkedIn and you can go, well, it's like Facebook for business professionals. And there's a, there's a big difference, but it, when you describe it, it sounds like quite a subtle difference. So, yeah, I, I, mean, I see them being integrated, to, you know, to some extent too. So that you know, if you want to start a dialogue, you know, maybe Yammer just, you know, it switches over context to a Yammer conversation with somebody um, instead of using. You know, I guess one thing I would link in is like their, their messaging and notification system leaves a lot to be desired. You know, I get notifications in email, and then like there's no badge on my on the on the icon on my on the phone app, and it's like you go in there and finally it goes, oh yeah, there's the notification. I'm like, oh, yeah, you get a better neck. We're probably jumping the gun to one of our later stories, but Yammer cross org is not the greatest solution, is it? That's like that's where LinkedIn could bridge a gap. Is like if we all want to collaborate together, you know what works really well for that? Email. Yeah. (laughs) You know what else works really well for that? Skype. (laughs) Skype for business. Yeah. Indeed. Um, Indeed. So, so the question, you know, are are we going to see the the LinkedIn groups? Move on to Yammer. Um, I don't think. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have thought so. And, and certainly, nothing will happen quickly, will it? Because that's classic acquisition. Nothing happens quickly. Right. I, I, I imagine they've spent twenty-six billion. They don't want to wedge too many things in and slow that value down. I don't think. And again, one of our later topics uh, about a move from Yammer for the Office Three Six Five Network is an example of where they've not seen Yammer as. As being, you know, sued for cross company. Yeah, that's what I was. That was referring to too. Like that's that's kind of the case in point. Like this whole switching networks on Yammer thing doesn't scale terribly well. Mm. And no, I agree. Yeah, because I mean, we you know we uh, we use it quite a bit at Friend Zero. But you know, if I want to use it for some other um, you know function, I'd say I, you know you sign out of this one and go to this network. It just kind of just makes it difficult to go between different entities. Sorry, you can see how Office three six five the the stack could add a lot of value to LinkedIn, like being able to link to files on OneDrive and groups whenever it comes together. If that was hooked into LinkedIn identities, everybody has a LinkedIn login basically, so you've got an instant identity there. Or they flip it around and they use their identity management on LinkedIn or vice versa. Like there's a there's a chance to own login there potentially as well. There's a bit of a crossover there where you've got a bit of a problem uh, when it comes to because you could you could potentially use Windows Live ID or Microsoft account for LinkedIn site, but ultimately the, your LinkedIn account belongs to you, not the organisation, because you know recruiters use it to try and poach people. Uh, you mm. don't want your organisation login to be tied to it or anything but could be discoverable uh, because one of its fundamental purposes is 
for recruiters and people won't use or have conversations that um you know start through it if what they do is discovered by the discoverable by their employer so you stop so one big advantage that it could be great for uh you know business to business sharing uh might might be fine if it's anonymized or using microsoft ids or something like that Uh, a bit like you know skype consumer uh switching to use microsoft ids but one of the biggest potential use cases is is, is covered by who owns the data do you do you think um that LinkedIn has evolved from its original, you know, pro uh, recruiting, job hunting focus to more of uh, groups and collaboration and things like that. Or do you think it's still? Uh, uh, the I think it's trying. I, I still. I mean, I, I think this is the number one use case is still with recruiters for me. Um, I, I will say, like, uh, to be fair, I, I think I do see a lot of news and stuff on there that I, you know, it's getting better at disseminating information, not just being everybody. Yeah, so, so I think it's, they've, you know, got, their, it's they've, they've got their Pulse thing, which is like their blogging platform. I, I'm disappointed that hasn't taken off more than it has. I don't know if any of you guys look at Medium at all, but Medium is doing really well. And that's, I think LinkedIn were going for being the enterprise version of Medium, but you don't see a lot of good content on there. But the problem I, I, I have with LinkedIn and body content on there is, you don't know how long it will be on there. You know, what if they decide to get rid of that feature? At least if you own your own blog, it stays there, or you're publishing it somewhere else. Then you know it, it's on a, a site that you know people already go to. Yeah, so I, I was, that's a good point because one thing I have is like you know we have so many places to, to you know between Reddit, Twitter, you know it's like and so I I, I didn't really you know there's a lot of those for a long time I subscribed to a lot of those groups and would post comments or whatever and and and, and, that's, and it's great I mean it's perfectly great but it's like well you can't. It's hard to cover all these places. So it's like you know, you say, you know yeah. put most of your stake in Twitter and try to hit Reddit in those, or you know, do you hit Reddit mostly? And you know, it's I'm kind of more of the Twitter guy because that's what I got used to. But it's you know, so I, I, while I applaud that stuff, it's hard to like pick. You know, you can't cover them all. I, I can't anyway. So, no, but, but yeah, I, 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 I'll read it. The people's person. Like if, if if you only post on there, then great. I'll read your stuff. Uh, and I think they have some. You know, there's some decent names in their business. Well, like you know, Richard Branson and people like that, or, or whoever is posting his post for him, uh, putting his articles onto LinkedIn. I'll, I'll read that sort of stuff, and I think yeah. that's great. Uh, you know, it, it attracts me to LinkedIn to read it, um, but I don't go there to read it. I go there because I've got 15 notifications for uh, people that have added me on LinkedIn, right. half of them recruiters. And then I missed I, that's, again, I, we, were, we were talking about the, the Microsoft Press article. That's how I saw that because I missed it when Mr. Redmond, you know, posted on Twitter, I'm sure, and then I thought it was the first thing in the feed that day was like, oh, yeah, I missed this article, you know. But that's it. You get a slightly smaller cut of, of posts on LinkedIn because not everybody's posting. So you open up LinkedIn and you might see some interesting stuff from the day because people aren't, you know, it's not just that stream of stuff. I, I struggle to keep up with Twitter uh, because, you know, I'll, I'll start on Twitter three or four times a day and I'll have missed a few things. You know, um, and there's a good chance that although I probably have, I'm following roughly the same amount of people and maybe the same people on LinkedIn. Yes, fewer, fewer of them just post random stuff. It, it feels like Twitter simmered down a lot for enterprise stuff compared to a few years ago. Like that was, it was really, really engaging on Twitter a few years ago. But I don't know if it's just our area of technology or if it's, it's in general. But it feels like certainly for Skype and UC conversation, like Twitter is way quieter than it used to be. I don't know. Maybe because I'm. I literally live in, you know, I have like literally Twitter feeds on every single screen 
you know, in fact, I had my desk wherever I am at all times. You know, I, mean, I probably hit Twitter I, I, more on any day than by any other thing by times of time, times of, you know, a hundred. You know, so maybe I don't see it that way. Yeah, but you thought the engagement is still there though, like because if I if I start a conversation, like, there would blow up, but it doesn't seem to anymore. If I start a conversation on there, it, it's generally yeah, to, it it does turn into something. Or if I join in one, um, you know, it's it's just the the amount of followers and you know that you got you you can't join in them all because I, I joined one the other day. It's like four hours of tweeting back and forward, um, you know, and it's you can't do more than well I can't <laughs> do more than one of those sort of conversations. Yeah, I think it's not so much that there's not stuff out there. It's just that there's so much depending on how many people you follow, whatever. You know, it's like I, I missed out more than I used to because there's just so my feed is constantly. You know, that's why I'm trying to use more. You know, clients that have you know uh, like TweetDeck, which has the you, know, you can you know, park certain lists and, and hashtag lists. You know, so I can I'm filtering that stuff. So I I'm, I kind of have a purposely uh, you know uh, I've had a bookmark for really Skype for Business you know hashtag feeds right. So because otherwise I would miss those and if I just didn't have you know kind of my timeline, I'd never see any of that stuff unless I get lucky and I look over and go oh hey you know yeah you know. Th- Getting back to the content that's on LinkedIn, my Twitter feed, when I tweet, it also sends it to LinkedIn and also sends it to Facebook, which is why my my Twitter handle is used primarily just for work-related stuff. Okay. Um, and so th- that that's pretty much the extent of what I put out on Twitter. And one of the reasons why is because I, I tend to think of things, as much as I hate to say this, like a marketing person. And, you know, when you're... Oh, you know, like, and I'm sure, you know, Tom and, and Steve, you can attest to this every year when you have to compile your your stats for MVP status, you're looking through and finding out, you know, all these things uh, where you've done and where all this traffic is kind of coming from and where um, you should probably be putting some of your efforts. Um, I, I don't necessarily see LinkedIn as the place where I want to put stuff that isn't somewhere else as well, like on my blog. And Tom, you kind of mentioned, uh, you know, ha- having a blog and maybe that's a better place. And, and I agree. I might put a little blurb out on, on LinkedIn that says, you know, this particular subject or whatever. For more information, read here and a link back to my blog because I want to draw people back to that because then they can then see a ton of other uh, posts uh, that I've done too. And I think that works better on a on a individual blog than it does on uh, LinkedIn. I could be wrong. But one of the things that I really wish would get better on LinkedIn is just the, the blatant trolling from recruiters. Oh, I know. Well, I mean, on one hand, that is their job to be, yeah, but it's bad. Yeah, but, it's but like, you know what? I, and there's some I, nice ones. I mean, you know, but yeah, it's, sometimes there, it's, a, it's really annoying. There are some nice but, ones, but I, I'll, I'll tell you what. For several years now, I've had a section on my um, uh, LinkedIn profile that, you know, is titled um, uh, Information for Contacting Pat. And it basically in there, it says, I'm not looking for a job. Please do not contact me. If you do... I'm going to market as spam. And you'd be surprised how often I still get people, oh, your your profile is perfect for this position. And, you know, they're... Pat, you're, they're assuming that, you're, assuming they read, you're assuming they're reading a thing before they contact you. Like, the amount of things I get for, like, SharePoint and Exchange. I've seen Microsoft in your sub-bio. I get like, ones for, for, for Android developer, which is not... Would not if it's not, that's the most <laughs> ironic thing possible, right? You know, it's like I'm neither, yeah. Yeah, neither for sure, yeah. right? <laughs> you, you look like you could turn on a computer. Do you want to see you're some right. development? <laughs> <laughs> Junior help desk admin. I'm like, uh, <laughs> I don't think so, guys. <laughs> Thanks for the... But, you know. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I mean, they're, they're just trying to do their job, right? 
uh, you know, for example, Nigel Frank, who kindly sponsored the Microsoft oh. Cloud User Group. Um, you know, we're just, we're just saying do it better, Steve. That's all. They're they're lovely guys. <laughs> they're lovely guys and uh, and ladies as well. You know, but I have to say that because they're sponsoring our user group. <laughs> uh, I mean, genuinely though, you know, I, I, I'm not, I am not a big fan of recruiters. Actually, at the last event, uh, they were still outside, um, you know, after the break, and I came in. So, is that everyone? I said, there's the recruiters outside. Oh, everyone said, let's carry on then. Let's lock, lock the doors. And, uh, you know, the recruiters don't have a good reputation. Um, uh, but I, I, I do genuinely think they are, they are just trying to do a job. Um, and, you know, if they phone me up, I'll, I'll talk to them, you know, maybe save someone else from the hassle. Uh, okay, no call. Cool. Um, so I, I, I get, I, yeah, I, I get it. And, and one day, you know, I, I might, I might rely on one to find me a job. Who knows? Uh, I, I haven't for the for, for uh, the last few, but who knows? You know, so it's, so I, I, I'm never horrible to them or tell them. You know, some people are really, really rude to recruiters when they get messages from them. Well, not, you know, I've been known to be rude a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I have too. And it kind of it kind of depends on what they say. If they if they look at my profile, and I've spent a considerable amount of time on my profile, it's generally it used to be something I worked on during boring conference calls. Um, is if you read my profile and then you send me a job uh, info about some entry level help desk job, as far as I'm concerned, you you deserve to be thrown into a ditch and covered. Be- you're like, because you, you knowingly are wasting my time. Absolutely. And it's like, you know, what, an off chance that I, I'm, you know, I, I'm going to take it, like, or, or I know somebody. Yeah, it's like, you know, and otherwise, you, you know, also, that's what email is for. Just email me. Why do you got to call me and, you know. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I get that. Because anybody that I know and deal with will not phone me on our work number because they'll know that. I don't work in our office. Uh, you know, I, I work from home or I'm on customer site. So every single call I get is a recruiter. Uh, but I, I get the same thing. Uh, I, you know, I, I get these messages. I just don't reply to them. Um, but I, I do hate them. I got one the other day. Oh, I'm, I'm just, I'm just on the same road as your company. You know, perhaps I could pop in and we'll have a coffee. No, no, we won't. That won't happen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I'm not going to get into a conversation with you about it. But it's it's like a double glazing salesman. I used to, you know, one of my first jobs was a double glazing salesman. The script you had was, go you go up to the door and you say, we're just in the area doing someone's windows and we can give you this fantastic deal. We weren't in the area apart from knocking on people's doors. And this guy sends me a message saying exactly the same. I'm just in the area. We can meet up. Like, I've got all these great people. And and one of the one of my fellow, I, I, and they always have great people that that they've never spoken to. Um, like I, I had someone tell me the exact profile of somebody I actually know and run a user group with, and that, and I, I, I phoned him. I said, I said, Jason, do you know this recruiter? No, not at all. Why are they pitching you as a candidate to me when they've never even spoken to? Yeah, me? that's totally one of the sleazy things they do. Is they they they, um, they pitch and then they go and phone you up and say this person interested in you. Well, I don't know, know if you. Or saying I won't name such the... and such wants X salary. You know that they're not. You know that they weren't on that, and they've just added 20 grand to it. So seriously, what, what's the recruiter doing here? Uh, they're giving me all these people that are getting, and telling me that they all want to get paid more than I do. Do they have no idea? I know, I know how much people get paid. I know how much the position's going for. And they're telling me that they've got all these people that, uh, that want 20 grand over the asking rate. What sort of game are they trying to play with me? Well, I don't know. If, I won't name the company, name the company but I don't know if you've seen this, but somebody from one of these companies we've been talking about, um, actually emailed like the Ranger DL, you know, the MCM DL, hmm. 
um, like, you know, pimping for exchange guys. Like, like, like you just now literally pissed off all the guys, right? Like, everyone now hates you because you should never have done that, you know? It was, it was funny, but, like, yeah, they, they, got, they got clobbered for that, you know? Yeah. And, of course, you know, we, we don't mean to, to, you know, complain about all recruiters. There are some good recruiters out there. So no, my, yeah, I don't come my friends Karen and right. Stephanie, I'm not right. talking about you guys. So uh, yeah, I'm, not talking, I'm not talking about Will Rowe either. Yeah, well, like, so, so someone like Will in the UK, Will's a good example. Like, he comes to the user groups. He's not super invasive. He's there if you want to chat. And, you know, he makes it known what you've done, but I think bang on about it. But he's putting the effort into learn about the community the guys that read microsoft on your linkedin and then phone you up about a sharepoint job when you're a skype engineer like that's frustrating but yeah, yeah there's good people and there's bad people in all industries isn't there yeah and, and for me you know somebody who was independent for for so long like you know i'm I, you know i deal with them probably a lot more than than other people because i'm constantly getting bombarded you know, or moving from place to place right so you know it, it, it's it's simple it's just simple like you know decent behavior like it, it's nothing to do with the technology technology bit to me you know, if you call, if you call me and tell me, I can't. I want to. I want to talk about your background, but I can't tell you. I don't even trust you to tell you who the end client is. We have the conversation ends right there. You know what I mean? Like, and I literally happened to me yesterday. Like, they wouldn't tell me who the company is, and it's like, excuse me. So you want me to tell me tell you all this stuff, and you won't even tell me this simple thing? Like, I could be working for the company right now, as far as, far as you know, right? You know, it's I, like I, I immediately want to hang up right means. there. But I genuinely think that that means that they have no contract with with that company at all, uh, because I, I've got I've got that through before where they'll have like three or four CVs and they go, you know, we we've heard on the grapevine you might have a position coming up, and then they'll send me these CVs. I'm like, I've deleted them all. You know, we have no contract with you. Goodbye. You know, don't email me again yeah. because we because they'll say that they will have spoken to to, to these people and said that they're recruiting on my behalf. Actually, I'd, I then I then spoke to one of in that case, I spoke to one one of the people, and they said, "Yeah, they said that they were your recruiter, and they weren't." And it's you know, it's, it's, well, it's dangerous. Yeah, when they, you, know, you, you get double submitted, even if it's not your fault, that you end up not, you know not getting the role, and it's like, well, I didn't do anything well, wrong. This is because these exactly, guys are idiots, you know. Exactly, exactly, and you can't. And and the, you know, the, the only ethical thing you can do, as you know, as as me, the the person who's, who might be the hiring manager or whatever. Is to is to delete the the emails, purge them from you, but everything you can. So if they if you do genuinely come across this person, you know, in the future, then you've got all the evidence to show that there was no foul play on your part. Uh, but you sadly you've just got to delete the. the well, you've seen the news here in the states recently. I'm not. I'm never going to delete emails ever again. <laughs> <laughs> well, for, for, from a discovery perspective, though, they might have deleted them on litigation. But from my perspective, I've removed them from you know what I can see. Because you know, if you if you come across them to another recruiter or whatever, and you do or you put out um, an advert on the website, um, and then this same person contacts you independently, um, you don't want to expose yourself or, or your employer to, to anything that you you know you, you didn't see. So yeah, my advice is from from the from my management is uh, when when this happens, yeah, just delete the delete the message and tell them that you delete the message and we don't accept any of their terms and conditions uh, and tell them to swing their hook. Uh, but it's 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 just bad practice and and there's a lot of that on LinkedIn, I guess. Uh, you know, people looking to see whether you're recruiting or or looking to offer you jobs that they're not really recruiting for. 
but yeah, they're, they're just people doing their job. All right, so we've beat we've beaten that dead horse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and went way far yeah, afield. Yeah. <laughs> so let's head into our uh, Skype uh, topics for this episode, and of course, it would not be an episode of the UC Architects if we didn't talk about some script or cool utility that James Cousin has done. And uh, so, uh, and this episode is no different. So James has come out with a tool uh, that is called the uh, Skype for Business and Link Centralized Event Viewer Tool. Um, so, so maybe James needs a little bit work on, on naming his tools with shorter names, but um, <laughs> or spell uncentralized correctly, like you know we would in here with a Z. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so this is a a PowerShell script that's got a full GUI that basically allows you to view all of the event logs from all of your Skype uh, for Business or Link servers in one GUI. So um, you don't have to go around and, and, and look at all servers individually or anything like that. Um, you can do it all within this tool. You can do things like time ranges, uh, filtering, what kind of um, events you want displayed, um, click on them to search online for more information, uh, all kinds of cool stuff. So if you're looking for a tool that helps you look at event logs, um, uh, this is this is surely uh, well, a great. You know, it's funny when I when I saw the I don't even remember how I saw like how I saw this, but uh, probably on Twitter. But at first I'm like, well, he already has a centralized logging tool. I'm like, oh no, this is for the event logs. Event like, that's logs, so yeah. cool. Yeah, it's because like, I use the the CLS tool like all the time. And uh, and that's one thing I was you know just gonna say like we we're talking about this. Uh, we, a lot of times we've covered new scripts or whatever tools that you know come out. And we may have used them, maybe you know, just because it came out, we tried it, whatever. But then sometimes, you know, I've been going back, and it's in one capacity. I was testing a bunch of stuff. I've been using the CLS tool for like way more, like you know, recently than I had, you know, whenever it came out. And we talked about it, you know, and I, I just like, like, how did we live without this thing? Like, <laughs> it's like, why, why would we ever have done the way we used it without without it? You know, it's crazy. Well, you know, when I when I it's worked. When I worked at Modality, uh, the company where Tom works, um, one of the things that was my uh, job responsibility is I would go in and do these link and Skype for Business health checks, essentially like a wrap. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I wrote a script that would go out and query all the server, you know, build a list of all the servers in a Skype for Business uh, deployment or link deployment, and then go out and grab all the event logs together and export them all to CSVs. And then I had this tool that would kind of, you know, merge them all together into one big list and then you could kind of look through a, a great big spreadsheet um so you'd have you know the, the capabilities that you have within excel some basic filtering and things like that um james's tool is much easier there's a lot less headache uh because it puts it into a nice gui and gives you all your drop down boxes and your pick boxes and things like that to to kind of filter out just what you need and then figure out which servers or pools uh, or whatever that you want to query um, so well, unlike the the wrap tool, it doesn't pick up event log IDs and go, you know, critical warning, and, and you yeah, know, it's like, yeah. Um, it doesn't pass judgment. It just tells you the, the errors. Doesn't pass judgment on them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So kudos once again to James. Yeah, awesome stuff. Thank you. James. Um, I'm sure James will probably see you at Ignite as well. So a, a cold beer on me. Um, next up, um, if you're using persistent chat, you're the one or two people out there that are actually using it. Um, as much as That's I love it, I, 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 I accept the fact yeah, that hardly anybody uses it, but I love it. Um, remember that you have to open port 8011, 8011. 
looks like a lot of the documentation doesn't really mention that, and it's being updated. But um, if you are having some issues, and uh, take a look and see if you have port 8011 open. Next up, uh, another cool tool, this one called the uh, Call Flow Manager 1.3. So, Tom, have you looked at this at all? I know this is this has gotten some uh, some traction on Twitter lately. Yeah, and no, I saw it. I saw it go by on Twitter, but I haven't had a chance to dig into it actually. Yeah, I did actually. I, I helped. Um, I ran it before uh, Andrew Morpeth, who was a, a, a office service 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 MVP. Um, kind of was asking people on Twitter, hey, if, you know, if anyone wants to try it out, I'm like, I'd be happy to help you know, like, kind of like test it out. Um, it's it's freaking cool. Uh, it basically allows. It's a kind of a GUI for doing and uh, building response groups and managing response groups. And we know, you know, we all know what we have with native tools in Skype for Business Link um, are great, right? But the, you know, that's the workflow is kind of bizarre unless you really know how to do it. I mean, they kind of like made it like a rational human being if they really wanted to really manage response groups. <laughs> like, uh, that's how this is how you would do it with his tool, not how we, we you know, we have a native tool in my, my opinion. So. Um, really good job. Um, so it just allows you like the workflow is better. You know to easily create, um, you know, the agents, the, the the groups, the workflows, all in kind of a, in a more sensible way uh, about it. Um, good stuff. Really good stuff. And I don't know. Right now it's free. I don't know if he's planning on charging for it or what in the future. I really don't know. But um, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. Anything that makes uh, you know some of the complex configuration stuff easier is is okay in my book. Yeah, and you know the other thing too is it's a lot faster. I mean, if you, you know if you ever have environments where they have a lot of response groups, right? I mean, just you know sometimes parsing the list of workflows, you know, you might like might as well go to lunch, you know, on some of these. And if you go, you, you know, if you close the browser accidentally, you're like, oh crap, and you got to go back in there and wait for it to load again. And, you know, um, yeah, so it's a lot faster than than in my, at least the testing I've done with uh, with you know the native stuff. Yes, cool. Um, all right, so next up, um, best practices upgrades for your Skype for Business. Um, SBAs. So Sonus has come out with a uh, document on what you should be looking for for upgrading your uh, SBAs to uh, support Skype for Business 2015. So um, the the document actually came out like last year sometime, but it's been updated recently. So if you're looking for information on what you need to do for your Sonus SBAs, including uh, minimum requirements for operating system and licensing requirements and everything else like that, um, head on over to um, the Sonus site, and we'll we'll definitely have a, a link for that in the uh, summary page. Um, yeah, and as uh, Tom, as you point out, um, your SBA has to be on server 2012 R2. Yeah, which I was going to talk about that too. That's a, that's a big sort of caveat because a lot of these SBAs that went in initially are on 2008, uh, and uh, yeah, <laughs> it's going to be that's going to be more of a challenge, right? Because they got to get the OS has got to get updated before you can get them on SBA, you know, for business right. um, code base. So, but I mean, and you know, I, I know it's going to be a pain, but it's it's probably not as much of a pain as the weird bugs you get if you got a lot of SBAs and they're you know. They've been sitting there at RTM version. I came across this recently. You know, they're, you know, they're literally at RTM, and um, you know, just all kinds of bizarre stuff happens. And you know, someone's be I mean, the first thing to come out of their mouth is like, "You got to, you got to update, you got to update now." You know, so uh, the more current you keep these, I think, you know, I would say that if I was going to give any piece of you know, guidance here, like just upgrade your, you know, upgrade your SBAs, get them as current as you possibly can, because there's a lot of weird things that happen if you don't that I've seen. So. Yep. 
Good point. Um, next up, configuring toll-free numbers for dial-in conferencing in Office 365. So here's something I have not had to, to deal with yet. Um, so we're talking about uh, you know cloud-based PSTN conferencing. Um, so Matt Sosman over at Microsoft has written a pretty good uh, TechEd document on what you need uh, to look for and uh, the steps that you need to jump through, all the hoops and everything, for configuring uh, toll-free numbers and dial-in conferencing in Office 365. So it's a pretty good read on uh, TechNet, and uh, we'll get a link out there yes. for you. Cool stuff. Yeah, this is a, a decent addition to the, to the Microsoft PSD and conferencing service as well. I've actually got toll-free numbers now. A lot of people like not inflicting call charges on people joining their corporate meetings. So Does anyone actually pay toll charges anymore? Though? That's, the, that's the one thing that's anyone actually ever have to actually pay long-distance calls anymore. Well, I'm sure some do, but yeah, you know, I'm saying like it's funny now. It's like every call you, you every spam call I seem to get is a local number. In the UK, most of the time, you you'll dial into a local number, but yeah. it'll be in your minutes. So, toll free or non toll free, it's it's going to cost the same. Yeah, uh, just a, a trick on a trick on this on Office 365 is once you add uh, the toll free number to the tenant, it's there for the tenant. So. You can't just give the toll-free number to a subset of your VIP users, potentially. And obviously, you're picking up the inbound call charges for that 800 number as well. So um, most people that want it, want it anyway. But something to bear in mind is you can't just give it to you know, the execs because they're people calling them are important. It is a tenant-wide uh, number at the moment. Absolutely. Um, and speaking of um, the online configuration, uh, Jeff Schertz has written another one of his stellar blog articles. He's been busy lately. Yep. <laughs> He's been yeah. him up. He is. So this one on uh, device updates with Skype for Business Online. So um, if you have uh, your qualified uh, IP phones and uh, need to update them, uh, Jeff's got a great um, lengthy article, as most of his are, on what you need to go through to get those devices updated. So um, check that out. Next up, uh, Skype for Business Mac preview. John, this one screams you. Um, well, yeah, I guess we touched on earlier. It's going to make my book chapter completely useless, but you know, that's, that's a good thing, though. I'm not, I'm not complaining because <laughs> uh, God knows we need a new version of the, the Mac client. So yeah, I mean, for those of you in the Skype preview, preview program, you've probably and there's been a lot of public gaming stars. You know, they've been showing different pieces on their, their weekly. Well, I don't know what weekly, but they do the Friday, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, video cast. Uh, on sort of the state of Skype business, whatever. Um, and Matt Landis talked about it. Uh, so you, people have gotten, mo- you know, it's not, it's not necessarily a secret of what's what, what's in the, in the client. So uh, I think we can talk about it pretty freely. So, um, but those of you who have you know who've seen it, uh, it's come along quite nicely. Um, they added I am in presence. I mean, I, it, at first it was, it was you know really limited to basically just what you join a conference, right? So slowly but surely they're adding. Right now there's no still no voice features. There's still a ton of things not in the client. Um, they you know they're they're coming, but. Um, I mean, it's a great step forward. I, I, I the, in some ways, the GUI is better than the Windows client, if you ask me. Um, the flow's nice. How so? Uh, so far. Um, well, it's certainly very Mac-ish, you know. So I, I like the fact that it's just kind of clean, and um, um, and the, the general layout is similar to the Windows client, but but along the um, along the one axis are all the different uh, you know modality bits. So if you know, if it's like if you just kind of rotate the Windows client 90 degrees, I guess this would be the best way to describe it. You know, I just to me it flows a little bit better. Um, and obviously, compared to the 2011 client, it's it's so you know 
it's literally like epochs of human you know, history more advanced. You know, it's like it's a steam engines versus you know a fusion engine. So, um, can you at uh, least but, sort but, your uh, your contact list and and all that stuff now? Oh, I know. Right now, I know that's yeah. No, not yet. Well, well I mean, my... again, it's, we're talking about a client that's not even finished yet, so who knows? Yeah, yeah, and that's always been my one biggest. beef right now that, that people complain about, which, which actually I'm running into uh, right now. It's basically um, only it behaves as only a mobile client, so there is no SIP, uh, you know, SRV record fallback like the uh, you know like the Windows client or the Mac client would do. So you have linked and, and it looks like it looks like right now, at least I mean, I'm not saying nobody's for sure. I'm assuming not. We're all hoping not, but. Um, just like the mobile client forces Link Discover and really ignores Link Discover internal, so is the Mac client right now. So if you don't hairpin outside your you know, your proxy interface on the outside, it won't work. Um, and I have an issue with my home lab, which the, my camp won't hairpin. Long story anyway. So it kind of every so often it'll work because eventually the camp will start listening. But otherwise, you can't log in, and I can't get you know any of the manual ways to do it. So just FYI, if you you know can't get the clients ever log in, this very much will be your problem. So. So, uh, so, so, so in addition, uh, in addition to what's new, uh, what's the full feature set then? So meetings work, IM presence works. Uh, Pretty much right now. I mean, obviously, you know, no response, screw any, anything, nothing voice right now other than peer to peer to peer voice and then conference voice. But there's no EV. So peer to peer voice does that support um, any quality of service? I do not know yet. I don't, I don't think so, so yet. Better together on but I think it's a conversation with OS X, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a Mac challenge, not a client challenge, right. isn't it? I don't think OS X gives you a way to tell it, so you have to do it at the network layer, not the uh, not the right, OS layer. Right. I mean, there are there is the well, at least in a twenty. We talked about this before, and I, I think I touched it in, in the book chapter. There, there is an equivalent of, um, you know, the 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 text file that is it's sort of the equivalent of the registry um, in the Link Mac client. Now, I don't know if that exists yet on the, on the new client. I actually haven't dug into it yet um, to see. But uh, so it, it may, in theory, it should be possible at some point to like you know have that sort of you know equivalent of what the setting there was the, the ports and things and the markings and, and the registry on the Mac client. But I can't say for sure that that's possible now or going to happen. But there should be a mechanism to do it. Okay, we'll look forward to seeing what else uh, what else comes up in that. Yeah, it's a great start. I mean, I, you know, everyone's uh, we talked about this probably to death, but you know, people are. F- foaming at the mouth to get a decent client on the Mac side because it's been, you know, increasingly a weak link, and they know that all too well. So no point in <laughs> hammering on now. So it's coming along good, and I can't wait to see the, what the final. Okay. Be. Well, uh, we'll take a, a short right turn over to the consumer Skype client, and uh, now we have Skype Meetings, a free group collaboration tool for uh, for Skype users. Has anybody uh, played with this yet? I signed up for it, but I don't know what I think because I, I already I think it, it was only for new users. You can't already have um, a tenant, um, or or you can't have like Skype on your tenant or something too. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so it's really designed to kind of be new. Um, but I, I, my understanding is like you know, for under ten people, you can basically spin up a link. I've got for business online, you know, conference with under ten people and for nothing. Yeah, I think I think it's Skype for business online. It's, it's ten initially, and then it drops down to three for free, doesn't it? But it's kind of a a, a gateway drug for, for Skype business online. <laughs> so you start a meeting, but it's like, you know, please insert 25 cents. Yeah. <laughs> if you'd like to continue the yeah, call. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great idea. I mean, it gets, it'll get people like, you know, used to doing it. And, and you know, and there's always, you know, 
I mean, like, you know, every time, I don't know how many you guys probably all come across this, where you're, you're, trying to, you're trying to get a Skype meeting work with somebody, and for whatever reason, their environment, they can't, firewall's not right, whatever. So, you, you know, you're like, well, I, I had to do this, this demo or this whatever for you, and we can't come up with, with a universal mechanism, so let's try, you know, and insert online, you know, blue jeans or whatever, you know, whatever. And it's like, well, I don't know how to use that. I don't want to download their stupid thing. You know, and it's like, it's like this would be a good alternative. Like, all right, if, if my, home, my own link environment doesn't work, maybe we can spin up one here and, you know, at least get what I need to get done, done. But it's a tool we know how to use and stuff and not some weird plug-in, you know, that kind of stuff. I hate when somebody else goes, like, install, you know, uh, the BlueJeans plug-in. I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> get your <laughs> Skype environment working first and then call me back, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Well, this is half the benefit of, of, of having it online anyway, and you can spin up a, a trial tenant and use it in that. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so another update that came out for Skype for Business uh, was the recent cumulative update, and it has a bunch of new features. So first up, let's talk about offline instant messaging. So I was actually surprised to see this come up. Um, I know a lot of people on the um, uh, the wish list have asked for this on IdeaScale, um, but I, I never thought I thought that was always like a, a niche thing. Uh, but now we have the ability of sending yeah, IMs I, offline. So what, I can't say a lot of people complain that they like complain about that. I mean, I, you know, we we talked about this before. I mean, the the, mul- the, M- the multiple points of presence detection in 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 um, link scaffold messages is great. It's not always infallible. So there's times, especially with mobile, people miss miss messages, and that's why the whole, you know, all, offline conversation there, the, the uh, misconversation thing was done in, in scaffold business. And, you know, I mean, they're trying to get it so, like, like there should be no reason why you miss an, miss an IM. And, you know, the fallback to me was, okay, well, you, you would have Outlook, but you can't guarantee that they have a mailbox and, and Outlook's running. And so, you know, you see a lot more of these things. And I think this is more example of, like, these things going in-band with this product and not assuming that it's going to be, you know, connected to another one of the, Silos in, in the 365 space or even on prem, right? So, so I, I, th- I think it's a good thing in that sense. Like it's like, all right, well, now I can at least get my messages. I don't have to worry about, you know, not having Outlook. And you know, a lot of companies turn that feature off anyway for, for legal reasons. So, um, I, I think it's a good idea. Like I said, yeah, I think yeah, you're right. Though I don't know. Um, yeah, Craig Sheridan's like, yeah, it's like, like dreading it, right? Because you know, it's like oh, I don't want that message. If I wasn't around to get it, then I don't want to get it. You know? Oh, I, I find it cool. Yeah. You know, the you one know, thing. Usually, if, if, I, if, if I've left the computer, presence hasn't updated, or I'm on the train yes. and I've lost signal, I get the message. Yeah, especially like when you're in, in mid you know, conversation or you, know, you walk away from your machine for a minute and then you come back and there's an IM sitting there from you know, 10 minutes earlier and, and the person has, has gone offline since then. It's nice to be able to continue that conversation within uh, the same client. But yeah, I, I was just surprised to see it. So. Um, there's a setting to enable it and disable it in the IM configuration policy, so it's called Enable Offline IM. So uh, play around with it if you've got the the latest CU installed. Um, the next up uh, for the features in uh, the cumulative update is the uh, uh, video-based screen sharing. So that to me sounds a little more promising. Um, and Tom, you wrote uh, a blog post about it, so tell us about it. Yeah, I think this is a, a- Decent, uh, decent step forward in terms of screen sharing. So we've always relied on RDP before, um, which is great because it gives the remote control. Um, but it, it can be fairly bandwidth intensive for the frame rate at high resolutions. So when you get people using like super large, you know, 4K monitors and CAD and CAM and stuff, like high movement on the screen. RDP starts to get pretty intense. Yeah. So having a video codec option gives you 
more frame rate and it gives you more frame rate for the same amount of bandwidth so it's more bandwidth efficient than the RDP option which is quite cool okay yeah cool um, yeah just Church also wrote a couple blog posts one was just updated not that long ago on and how the guts works and the differences and stuff. So yeah, yeah, Jeff has the killer, killer content yeah. on technical things. Well, and I, and I, I put on Twitter too because you know, my, so I upgraded all my services to CO3. You know, a couple whenever it came out a couple weeks ago, whatever. And um, I'm looking, I'm looking at the article. And I'm like, I want to make sure this, and it's on by default, I guess. If if you if you look at it, it turns it on by default, and Jeff goes in how you can turn it off at the clients or by registry or client policy, whatever. If you want to actually get rid of it, um, and turn it off. But uh, I'm looking in my in my and my, my my policies, and I don't see any of these new command lines. And I'm like, what the? You know, like, and I said, I reran the, the C3 installer. I'm like, no, I'm up to date on all my rules. Like, why? Well, it's on to me. I, I upgraded these things, and I never bounced the server. But so I had to sell all the same PowerShell windows open. They had never, you know, refreshed their the command lines. So it's just it's not like, duh, note to self. So if you do do that, yeah, make sure you close out PowerShell and reload, relaunch the shells to get this, because otherwise you won't see the new command lines if you want to turn it off or whatever. Just yeah. you know, note to yourself. Don't be, don't do what note I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also in CU3, uh, some busy options, including busy unbusy. So um, this is somewhat promising it, to me. It looks like they've gone through the idea scale list and started to knock off some of the low hanging fruit that people have been asking for. So um, some some options here of busy unbusy, voicemail unbusy, uh, and things like that have. Tom, have you played with this at all? I haven't had a chance to play with it yet, but it's something that a few of our finance customers have been asking for more than once. And some people take a dependency on a busy tone to flip calls, like in a contact center scenario, to flip calls to a different agent or in a kind of multi-IVR routing engine. So having the ability to throw a busy back is sometimes useful for that kind of routing scenario as well. And there's been a few third-party ops, uh, options for it for a while, but basically MSPL type stuff, so it's nice to have it in the box now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Although I can't remember the last time I called somebody and wound up either with a voicemail or whatever. It's usually... Uh, you you get the person. Although I don't call people too often anymore with instant messaging around. Yeah, so you live in you live in our world. You forget, don't you? Because you iron people first because yeah. they are you about for a call. So you don't ever hit <laughs> voicemail because you know they're there. Um, but yeah, in the in the kind of enterprise, the way they don't have that as default. Um, some of them don't want customers to hit voicemail, for example, ever. Like they have a policy of, you know, customers won't hear voicemail. It will keep redirecting until it gets to somebody. Um, so just having an option of voicemail was kind of anti their culture in some scenarios. Actually, I know that this is a bit off topic, but since having PST and calling, uh, some of my colleagues, they'll, they'll, they'll try and phone first rather than I am. And it'll go to voicemail. But how come that's went to voicemail? Because they, they've just, you know, not expected it in Skype for Business Online at all. <laughs> so it's it's come as quite a shock as we start to trial it. Hmm, yeah. Um, last up for the features in CU3 is multiple emergency numbers. Um, and Tom, you, you touched on this quickly in, in your article there. So give us a scenario where multiple emergency numbers might be beneficial. Yeah, this was a strange one. Like, I'd not come across it as like a blocking issue before, um, but it's, it's a couple of scenarios. It's things like in, in the UK, you can file, uh, you can ring sorry nine 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 or one one two. So nine 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 is the UK number. One one two is the kind of international European emergency number. Both routes. 
Um, so being able to set them both up is useful. Some, some companies want to set up, if they're like a US-UK company, they want to set up 999 and 911 so that US users over here can hit a phone and dial 911. So I think that was the use case that drove this option to have multiple emergency numbers set up uh, on, on Skype business server. Well, wouldn't it wouldn't it make sense for just you you wrong people to use nine one one? Yeah, yeah. Start spelling everything with Z, so you guys can understand. There yeah, there you go. <laughs> Are you going to have to have dial special code now to get to get uh, into the dialing U numbers, like you know, like an eighteen digit is a, is a punishment for Brexit? <laughs> yeah, possibly. That, was, that, that made me giggle. On the blog post came out like literally the blog post for C three came out around Brexit time. It was like in the blog post, if you look on TechNet. Uh, or technical article rather, the example is us with the European Union and the UK. I thought it was quite funny. <laughs> uh, yeah, for now, one one two still roots in the UK. Well, I suppose it depends on our negotiating. Will we get to keep one one two? Yeah, yeah, we have, we have <laughs> to lose it. Yeah, <laughs> very, we, we don't need that, but we need one one two. Let us keep that number. Well, you know, if you guys could just get rid of that crazy zero in the middle, then you know, I, I'd be fine with that. <laughs> but um, all right. So next up, uh, so we've talked about CU3. So now from the client perspective. Um, uh, last month, Microsoft released a, a new update for the client that fixes a bunch of issues, including when your client, the 2016 client, locks up during desktop sharing uh, or it crashes when you open uh, contact cards um, or doing call transfers. A lot of lockup and freezing issues are resolved by this uh, update from June 7th. So um, if you have a chance, update your client and uh, life will be good for you. Skype for Business Edge Internal Certificate Automatic Renewal. So here is a tool that's on the TechNet gallery from uh, Rodolfo Castro Aguilar and basically allows you to um, renew the Edge Internal Certificate. So obviously, uh, in most scenarios, your Edge servers are not domain-joined. So... Um, this kind of takes care of that, automates it, makes sure that um, you get out to the to the right uh, certificate authority and provides credentials for you to get um, um, your certificate updated. So, uh, actually, I think I missed this. This is cool. Yeah. So, kudos kudos to Rodolfo for uh, yeah. for for finding a need uh, and and filling it. So, yeah. Um, and another Microsoft update, uh, the Skype for Business Resource Kit is finally out. Uh, well, this is uh, a little bit dated now, but um, it came out, uh, I think, last week it was updated. Um, but um, So check it out. You now have all your ABS config and CFUtil and all those things. Those have all been updated recently, so... Make sure you update your servers. CPU till any any better than it was, or just uh, CPU till no. still sucks balls. <laughs> All right. If you're looking for CPU till, go to Matt Landis's website and check out his CPU till server, so you can use PowerShell yeah. to do everything that awesome. CPU tills does. In literally, um, uh, in his demo that he did for us, it took 14 seconds to make a change using CPU till, and it took a hundred. Uh, a hundredth of a second to do it via his method. So I, I think that speaks enough. His method is, is far better, including um, um, 
being able to do it via an IM client as well is, is kind of like a bot. So kudos to Matt for doing that. Next up, Bounce Sky 2015. So some of you may not have heard of this. Um, and basically, it had a previous name. It was called... Um, uh, Profiles for Link. Profiles for Link. That's right. Sorry, brain fart. Um, so if you are um, a consultant or a support person and you need to be able to log into a Link or Skype for Business client as different users to test different things, then Profiles for Link was always the go-to uh, utility. It really, uh, rides down in your uh, system tray and has a little menu that you can pop up and choose which user you want to log into, and it would log out your current user and log in as that user. Um, it made it super easy. Um, that was primarily a link-based uh, solution. And um, Greg Sheridan, uh, as you may know, gregandsidney.com, uh, has released a 2015 version called Bounce Sky 2015. So check it out. It works great. Um, I, I can't speak highly enough uh, uh, for history. I was actually at the user group meeting. I don't know how I saw a Twitter tweet come by. I'm like, how the hell did I miss this? You know, because I use I like literally every day, like times a million, because I'm always logging in and out of different, you know, so, you know, just when I do things, I might carry my surface around. So when I run, so, you know, when I'm running, I'm logging to one uh, the tenant uh, and three, you know, for uh, for for Skype for business, and then if I'm going to my desk, I'm going to another. So I mean, I use it literally multiple times a day. So I I, I felt shocked and chagrined that I didn't know that a brand new version was out. So I'm trying to make sure I uh, make up for that by shocked and chagrined. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, so kudos to Greg as usual uh, for for keeping that updated. Uh, Office online server. So. Another one of these um, <laughs> server platforms that can't that has an identity crisis, kind of like you know, LCS, OCS, Link, Skype for Business. Um, so Office Online Server, commonly known as uh, WAC and Ooh. everything else. Yeah. OWAS. OWAS. I, I think we should call it Ooze. Now it's it's, ooze. it's the oozing the server. Secret of the ooze. So um, you know, still a, a, a SharePoint component. Uh, but kind of the the new version, new rendition, rendition of uh, of your WAC server that, that is now out. It actually came out in May. Um, not really some a lot of changes for uh, Skype for Business environments, right? Do you tell us? And uh, also, when's going to be a ready part of your uh, your script? <laughs> <laughs> so no, that's, but, that's, but it, go ahead, Tom. It is use, it, it is useful for exchange environments, though. If you're an exchange yeah, environment, there's nothing that this version does that for Skype for Business that the old version didn't do. Obviously, this will be the version they'll be keeping up to date now, so at some point you want to jump to this. But, um, yeah, it's like, like Steve says, in, in other parts of the world, in SharePoint and Exchange, it does more interesting stuff than in the Skype world. Yeah, I think in the Skype world, the only thing it really gives you is um, high-fidelity, uh, like HD viewing for uh, PowerPoint stuff. Um so I, you know, yeah, as somebody who would share videos by do it by embedding them into a deck, and um, and then sharing that out, so we might see some some benefit there. But that's about it, I can think. Yeah, and like like, like Steve was just saying, for Exchange twenty sixteen, um, you can view and edit Office file attachments and uh, off, you know, what. Um, okay. When, when having integration, which is kind of cool if you think about it, but so. Yes, you've got to be licensed correctly to do it. But it, it it is pretty cool because you receive an email and it doesn't need to sa- it doesn't save it anywhere uh, while you edit it, but you edit it and it has a new attachment. 
to the message you, you're sending back to the person. Uh, and yeah, and as you say, you know, PowerPoint, for example, uh, t just today I, I wanted to watch a video uh, embedded into a PowerPoint presentation. And the easiest way to do that, uh, to cast it via Google Chromecast, I'm sorry, John, uh, was to, to open it in, it in PowerPoint Online and then cast that tab. And I didn't know that it was going to work, but it did. It worked perfectly because it's got that high fidelity viewing and it's got all, all the clever, nice stuff that allows you to play videos and stuff like that. So it's got some benefits, but, but yeah, they, they, they are mainly for, for SharePoint and for Exchange uh, and kind of essential for Exchange because in 2013, you could choose not to use Office Web App Server. Uh, but for 2016, if you want to be able to view attachments, you need to use this. Uh, and you need to be licensed to it as well. And the catch is, uh, with the older version, you could just download it from wherever. Uh, this you need MSTN license or the volume license uh, service in that download. So, so Steve, just so I can make sure I understand your, your comment about, so if you are using Exchange Server 2016 and you want to be able to view attachments, you have to use this platform now? Is that what you mean? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay, okay interesting. Well, good. Uh, and John, to answer your question, my script is almost done, but uh, this the Office Online server is the one of the remaining things, so um, I'll get working on a post-haste. Um, another, yet another release from Microsoft, uh, and this will make all you developer types happy, the uh, Skype for Business uh, app SDK. Uh, preview is now available for download. So um, if you are trying to make the next great uh, application uh, tool that you can sell for billions of dollars or just something that you're trying to fill a, a, a void in your environment, um, this is now available. So check that out. Yeah, I think um, it's worth, if, if you're interested in that Skype Derby stuff, um, Tom Morgan's Thought Stuff blog, he's constantly doing updates on what's going on with the Different SDK. It was a matter of time before someone said Tom Morgan's name. Uh, anyway, how is it about to? <laughs> but I think, but I think uh, Skype is a dev. I think of him instantly. So yeah, check, definitely check out his stuff. Yeah, he definitely yeah, he's also, is. He's got some good content out there. Yeah, yeah, he's a good, uh, a good person to follow if you're getting into Skype for business. No, and again, if, and if you're somebody like me who can't dev, dev anything, like you know, creating software is like magic to me. So it's like I go ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, next up, uh, Josh Blalash. Um, you might know him as uh, getcsjosh.com. Um, he has updated his Skype for Business hybrid handbook. So if you have uh, looked at it before or you're looking for some information on setting up Skype for Business hybrid, um, check out his his uh, new version. He cleaned up some information, added some info about Cloud Connector Edition and Azure AD Connect and things like that. So uh, kudos to Josh for uh, putting the effort into... Yeah, I looked at his good stuff. Yeah, making that yeah, book. Sh sh shout, shout out to his uh, Skype recap show as well. He does a, a regular YouTube uh, weekly update. Uh, slightly more consistent in terms of uh, weekly than, than we are in terms of getting podcasts out. Um, but he's got some uh, good updates on that every uh, every week on YouTube if you want to hit that. Yeah, cool. And I think Josh is going to be in Ignite at Ignite too. So uh, oh, cool. Oh, cool. have a chance to, to stop by and, and chat with him. You going to bring his cowboy hat? <laughs> I don't know. I might bring one. 
So kudos to <laughs> Josh Blaylock for doing that. Um, and the last Skype for Business uh, topic uh, in this episode is um, Polycom VVX Alternate Ringtone Bundle. This is an unofficial release done by Ben Donaldson, um, who came out with some some other ringtones that you can push down to your Polycom VVX phones. So um, if you're looking to do that, check that out. Uh, I can tell you, as a side note, that if you use the Event Zero Polycom provisioning tool, this will work in there as well. So I did confirm that internally. So oh, cool. if you want to push out you know, um, different ringtones from a, a corporate perspective and you're using our tool, then uh, it, we, we make it easy for you. Okay, now Steve actually gets to talk. So, Steve, we're going to talk about some Exchange stuff. So, um, first up is using the Office 365 Hybrid Configuration Wizard, this big six-part series. So, tell me about that. Uh, yeah, so the Office 365 Hybrid Configuration Wizard has been around for some time now, and it replaces the Exchange Hybrid Configuration Wizard, uh, which across three different versions of Exchange could have been you know, a different experience. So starting with Exchange 2016, they brought in the Office 365 Hybrid Configuration Wizard. I think we've mentioned that before on previous podcasts. They backported that to work with Exchange 2013, and then they backported it to work with Exchange 2010, which means all the benefits that you get if you're running the Hybrid Configuration Wizard in Exchange 2016 today. You'll also get, if you're using Exchange 2010, all the improvements, all the, the stuff that they learn from having this cloud-delivered version of the hybrid configuration wizard. You get even, even on uh, an older version of Exchange. Uh, and ultimately, that means that uh, for the best part, that there's never going to be a, a super good reason to add a 2013 or 2016 server if you've already got Exchange 2010 and want to move to the cloud. Uh, because the majority of the things made those better, for example, uh, just giving you a warning message if there's issues with federated sharing rather than bombing out or, or giving you uh, hard-to-understand error messages, things like that uh, have gone away. So uh, having the Office 365 hybrid configuration method uh, available across all these versions of Exchange means it's you know a far, far better and easier experience and means that ultimately you have to do less work. Uh, and this this uh, is one of my series on msexchange.org to, to walk you through it because I've written about the, the older versions of the, the hybrid configuration wizard before, but I wanted to try and have a guide that uh, was the, the one to rule them all, really, uh, for, for all those different versions. Uh, so talking you through things you should do before, uh, you know, before you actually go and start running this wizard, what should, should you do first? Uh, and, you know, do you need to do anything with identity, maybe? Yes, more than likely. Do you need to make sure all the exchange is patched? Uh, almost definitely. Do you need to go and change the firewall rules? More than likely. Do you need to make sure that your SSL certificates and auto discovery is set up correctly? Yes, you're know, walking through all those things before you actually run the wizard. And then after the wizard, what else does, doesn't it do? What does it do? Uh, do you have to create or manage any policies after? configure public folders, synchronization, and so on. And walking through six parts, it's just bringing in all those areas so you understand what you need to do before, what you need to do to run it, what it does under the hood, so you can talk through the changes to the people that need to know, what changes you might need to do after, and how do you test it and make sure that it's all put together properly. Uh, so it's intended to, to be, you know, a reasonably, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a long six-part series, but it's, um, it's not over the top. It's, it's, uh, it's manageable. 
uh, to read and, and understand. So hopefully you'll find it useful. And it's, it's pretty up to date. Yeah, I like, and I really, you know, with the, the latest revs of the wizard too. That, I mean, they made a, you know, they've made a, a, a lot of strides because I'm, I, you know, if you remember back in the past iterations, you know, it, it, the, the chance that we get it to work the first time without some major thing that fell off the rails was, in my, is my, you know, my experience, it was never, you know, 100, percent you know, without unless you set up environment that was just perfect, right? Uh, Absolutely. Now, yeah. It really does a lot of stuff behind the scenes, and it, and, and you know, I, I've been working with it recently, um, you know. Pretty currently, and and um, um, it's been great. I mean, it's it really does what it needs to do, and clearly says, hey, this didn't work, and here's why, and you know, I'm um, so to give him some cryptic error, like, uh, okay, uh, <laughs> I have no idea what that means, and I'm not gonna go find it out. Right? Uh, and that's it. So the in the older versions, half the reason for writing the guide was to try and make it possible for for you to run it without it erroring out the first few times you used it. Uh, so at least you had some sort of real world guidance. Um, and one of the really good things is, one, if you do get an error, uh, then Microsoft get the, the, the logs from the error. So the right people, the people who are responsible for making this wizard can see the errors uh, and then write the right documentation to help you with that error. Uh, or if someone else has had it before, it'll point you to the right place. So, so even if it goes wrong, you, know, you shouldn't just run it. But even if you just did just run it, then it's going to give you... Uh, topical guidance rather than, yeah, just um, this command failed. Now go and Google that command failing uh, and hopefully find something. Yeah, hmm. Okay. Anything that makes the job easier is good. Well, yeah, and that, that's what it's all about, right? So, Steve, with um, hybrid configuration wizard, what about this minimal hybrid configuration option? What does that mean for us? Well, this is very interesting, actually. So, uh, sometimes you want hybrid, you want some of the benefits of hybrid, like uh, being able to move the mailbox rather than just make a copy of it in, in Office 365, uh, being able to retain things like the offline cache. But you might not want some of the other stuff, like you might not need free busy, because if you're moving a few hundred people over and you're going to move them all over you know, one or two days, then you might not need some of the fancy bits that you get with the full hybrid that take a, that, that take a lot, lot more time in the background for you to prepare. Uh, like you might not need secure mail flow if you're planning on moving everyone on a Saturday night uh, and then switching the mail flow at the same time. And the minimal hybrid configuration wizard is simple. It does the minimum stuff to make it easy to do uh, high fidelity mailbox moves, but it doesn't uh, do some of the more fancy things like free busy calendar sharing and secure mail flow. Uh, so it means you get the benefits from the client perspective and from the exchange perspective, but you don't have uh, some of the fancies for longer-term coexistence. Okay, yeah. Um, okay, so now Microsoft has this new Office 365 network online community. So what the heck is this, and what does it mean for Yammer? Uh, well, you, you know if you work really, really hard to get 88,000 people from loads and loads of different organizations to join this new, unusual type of social network and get them all interacting. What should you do? Do you think, you know what I'd do? I think I'd just close it and move it somewhere else and start again. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm being sarcastic, but I, the reasons why, you know, uh, uh, it's pure speculation, I suppose. You can read Microsoft's uh, reasoning for why, that they've, why they've done it. Uh, but I... Scalability is one of the things that people have said. 
uh, you know, it's, the, the platform wasn't open, anonymous, and e- easy to access, surface and search results. Um, so there's, there's some reasons, you know, why they've, they've made the move. But to me, I, you know, I'm, I'm not the biggest Yammer fan on the planet. Uh, I'm not against it either, uh, but I, I thought it was the perfect place for it because uh, it was real people providing real input into conversations. You could see that they worked for a company like yours or they worked for a partner or they were a salesman, X company. Uh, so you've, you know, I, I, I preferred that real enterprise social network. It was a bit unwieldy in a way, uh, but I, I preferred that to Libyan, this, this platform that they, they've used to, to relaunch it. Uh, you know, if, if people engage in it, though, that's, you know, then all that will change. You know, if it, if it does uh, pick up and it becomes quite popular and the people are there and the content's there, then it doesn't matter. Ultimately, that's my opinion. Uh, if, if everybody's there, uh, then the community will continue to thrive. Yeah, I, th- I think it's, it's, it's the reasoning is logical, like not indexing on search engines is a problem. Um, and, and it didn't, Yammer doesn't suit necessarily long-form posting or screenshots or event logs and stuff like that. So it tends to be snappier chats. But it did seem like there was some good engagement there. And because it was, it requires an Office 365 login, it's Office 365. So everybody that wanted to be in the game could get there potentially. It wasn't that locked out. Um, but hopefully this new platform gets the engagement. I don't, I'm not familiar with the platform, but so far it isn't. I've been on the Skype content there, and there is not a ton of content there yet, unfortunately. So we'll see. And if the big question is, do all the Microsoft people jump over that were on Yammer? Do they keep engaging on this new platform? Because the Microsoft engagement was pretty decent, certainly in Skype on the on the Yammer platform. Well, yeah, absolutely. And, and it's brought some new MVPs into the fold as well. Uh, people who work at companies and have really made massive uh, efforts to... to yeah, engage with other peers and, and bring other people, you know, share their knowledge about how to best uh, drive adoption of those platforms. It, it would come as a real blow to them, I would think. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit of a, I mean, you can read it as a bit of a diss of Yammer, potentially. I don't think it genuinely is. I think it just isn't well suited for this kind of public forum type scenario. But um, no. it was, it was it, nice everybody using their identities on Yammer, for sure. Yeah, and you see the themes when you try and at mention somebody and there's 88,000 people. <laughs> and and it, it slows down. So I, I get it. Uh, and, you know, uh, I think we'll just have to see how it works. Isn't, isn't uh, it surprising? Like, it's surprising to me that there's no solid third party, or maybe I just don't know about it. It's like eco, ecosystem forum for Office 365. Like I know Spiceworks has something and like server, uh, is it server fault? The equivalent of Stack yeah. Overflow for, there's, but that has a little what? bit, but not tons. There's LinkedIn groups for it as well. My, yeah. my, my thought was, <laughs> you know, that these, leave them away. Like, we've got to move off Yana. We're, we're going to buy this software called Lithium. Then in the background, Mark's like, oh, we've, we've bought LinkedIn. Go, let's forget about that. Let's pretend we didn't hear it. We'll carry on <laughs> building this social network on this other platform. We'll pretend that we couldn't have made the groups on LinkedIn and launched it there. Uh, you know, I, I think this will, personally, this would have been, uh, I'm sure this would have been, you know, Microsoft planning cycles 
months, if not years, in the making. So you know, you, you know what's really good. Well, wait a minute. You know what's really good when you hear some news and then instead of carrying on with the things <laughs> you're doing, you say, "Guys, I'm just going to put my hand up here and say, let's stop." But what? And what about like, what about Tango forums and user voice? Like, oh, like, yeah. like, like it's good. Microsoft are going trying to go best of breed with this stuff, but um, best of I don't know. V, v politics used have to with, be the, back in the day used to be the one, didn't it? I don't know if that's the case anymore. The, the problem I have with anonymous forums is you just get some, especially where you get badges and prize, fake prizes and points, is you sometimes get people that make a bunch of accounts and then they, they just want, they call it gamification. That works well in a, a, an environment where people are people um, and they can't try and game the system. Uh, and I, I used to see that a lot on the TechNet forums. And it's still there. I'm just not actively getting busy on them. Because you do get people that ask a question and then answer it and then mark their answer as the answer. Uh, and that's that's what I kind of expect to see. Yeah, but it got you your MVP, Steve, so... That didn't, know. That The thing <laughs> is, I, I, this is, this is the thing, right? Uh, one of the other forums that they killed off... I, I, I was called Out Live Answers. And I spent, I, I bought so much effort into that forum just because I like doing it. But then they just said, oh, we're, we're scrapping it all completely and we're going to relaunch it using the same software, but we're going to call it the Office 365 community. And I'm like, okay, I've spent two years posting and building, co- you know, writing content, writing article wiki things and, you know, writing long, long answers to problems, you know, happily seeing that, you know, you search for a problem, it comes up, and they say, right, we'll just scrap all that. Thanks. Thanks, you know, we'll, we'll start again on a new form, and I just didn't bother with it. I didn't bother with the office. Then, so, so why? So I stick it on my blog instead. Yeah, but why hasn't a good third-party forum turned out? Like, Stack Overflow seems to be the default for all these dev and cloud people, there's, but yeah. Well, there's a lot of that on LinkedIn. There's a lot of active Office 365 LinkedIn groups. I think Microsoft could have uh, decided, right, well, we'll moderate some groups yeah. and and do it on there. Uh, but it's their decision, you know. Ultimately, it doesn't matter, does it? It's the people well, who are there. Unfortunately, unfortunately for them, 88,000 is now the benchmark for engagement, isn't it? So we'll see how the registrations and the interaction go. And from what I hear, it's been quite good. And the people who are moderating it are like, yeah, we're seeing good adoption rates, etc., etc. So that's, so, you know, it's... It, that's that's the thing, right? Um, you can be upset about something that happened, but ultimately it's just a forum. Uh, well, Yammer's of course not. You can't say that. Um, but whatever they're moving to, it's just a forum for people to discuss stuff. Uh, and uh, if Microsoft say people are joining, the active people are, are moving across, then it's going to be a success. And I think you know, as, as MVPs, we've got to we've got to support it a little bit as well because um, it, it is annoying. But you know, when change happens, but that's that's what people like as a good at ultimately. Well, it it's no persistent chat. <laughs> but <laughs> okay. Yeah, just one one job one giant persistent chat room with eighty eight thousand people. That's where we should go and where you're at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, and if you're going to do Exchange Online, uh, now we can do certificate-based authentication. So uh, save people from having to enter their credentials all the time, especially on mobile devices. So, yes. So, 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 so one thing to say about this is uh, one of the comments I, I got back uh, on one of the Facebook groups was, couldn't you already do this? And uh, you, can, you can already do some of it. Uh, so, for example, if you're running 
uh, Exchange Online, and you've got something called Modern Authentication enabled, which means that some of the newer clients, like Office 2016, uh, you can switch on Modern Authentication. And this goes across the services, Skype for Business included. Uh, and instead of it using the older style, where it sends the username and password to the server, uh, it pops up um, a web page, basically, uh, where you put in your username and password. It uses uh, something called OAuth to authenticate instead uh, and provide a store and then provide a, uh, a token and then refresh that token periodically and send it back to the server to authenticate. So you could do it using that because it will pop up a web page and then the, the, the web client will be able to use certificate-based authentication to allow you to go in. So you could do it of sorts um, using some of the newer technologies in Office 365. Um, but this really is looking at some of the other scenarios, like uh, iPhones, for example, and the native client, where you want to do certificate-based authentication the way that you do it on-premises. And it enables you to do it that way, where you can load the device with a certificate, uh, and then you can configure with your MDM solution or manually uh, a native profile on the iPhone or what have you uh, to, to use certificate-based authentication to connect to Exchange Online. And I think that is, you know, not something people are going, we've been waiting for this, uh, but, uh, you know, all over the place. But some, a few people have been waiting a long time for this. Um, and it's, you know, it's pushed them uh, to the Outlook app, uh, you know, uh, to, to provide a little bit more structure around it. Uh, I think this will be very useful uh, for those that want to use the native clients. Okay, that makes sense. And of course, you know, certificate-based auth is no big deal for us, script for business folks. Online. <laughs> every day, baby, every day. <laughs> um, and our last topic today, Virtual Academy's odd questions and MCS, uh, MCSE recertification. So uh, this is an article by uh, Tony Redmond. Um, so what is this about and why should we worry about it? Well, I mean, you know, if you uh, if you're a Microsoft professional and you're the person who cares about you know keeping your MCP based you know tests like you know, certifications at current for server and link or, you know business communications exchange messaging, um, this is a huge deal because otherwise you still you know the, the you know the the, the the drill has been for all these years you know a uh, new version comes out you certify the new version. Um, to be current, and you know you're happy for some amount of time, and then they call the new version, and then now you're not. You got to re-up. Re- you know, then recently they changed it so that you know you got to recertify every three years, regardless of the, if the product changes or not, um, to be current, um, which is you know better, right? Um, but, but they still offer you know uh, upgrade te- you know tests for some of these things, so you can take it to upgrade tests for Skype for Business to keep you current. So what they've done now was go and say, okay, you know, and, and, and the drill with that was, you know, you'd go get, uh, you know, you'd either go to a classroom or just study online, and you'd go to go take the test for metric. Now you can do it online, which is kind of cool, but that's kind of cool. Yeah, it's. <laughs> have you have you done one? So oh, have yeah, you done, I've done an several. Exam? Yeah, I've done several of them actually. Um, do you, I mean, do you like do you, do you like doing a three sixty degree turn around? Yeah, do, and, and having to show my tattoos. I swear to God, I have to sh- I have to take I have to roll my the sleeves up and show my tattoos. Kind, to make sure it's I, kind I don't of demeaning. Have, I totally, like, yeah, because yeah, I want to have like a simple ladder diagram tattooed on my arm to pass one test on a freaking on a test, right? <laughs> you know, it's like I, come on, guys. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, a, but I still like it a lot better than scheduling it and going to a test. I tell you what, in, in some cases, I had to do. Gross, you know, I I had to cover. 
uh, the books on my bookshelf. With oh, I had to cover like all my monitors with tied all these towels and everything. <laughs> it looks so ridiculous. I, it's like, are you kidding? I, I, I know. The worst thing was, well, it's still better than going to a testing center. The books I wrote, and I'm like, I, I don't trust <laughs> the guy. I'm like, no, I'm not even going to that. <laughs> no, I know, but. Uh, but okay, wait, so yeah, so the point is, so like, yeah, you know, that was, was so that was that's so deep. I know, <laughs> but, it's, but it's like, it, it's like, you, the, you see those exam guides, you need to cover them up with a sheet. I'm um, like, okay, I wrote them, and the guys like, they, they all say that. One, two, there's five <laughs> copies of the same book there, but oh, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, so I mean, you know, and that's, and that's been the, the that's been the, the the same basic, you know, plan except for the online proctoring, which is pretty new for the past, you know, since I've, I've almost been 20 years doing this, and you know, it's been pretty much the same grind. So what they're doing now is saying, okay, if you go in and and you know, they have all this virtual Microsoft Virtual Academy content, and a lot of it's awesome. I mean, this goes back even some of these are are are, are a little bit older. But, you know, there's hours upon hours of content recorded by, you know, people that we've talked about before, MVPs, et cetera, people, people from Microsoft, um, covering Exchange Link. Um, those are the ones I really focus on, but I know there's other stuff out there as well. Um, and, you know, it just, you know, hours and hours and hours of content, and you basically can go through it and then answer the assessment test at the end of each one of them, these modules. And, you know, if you pass all those, um, um, you have to already be an MCSE and that, so it's really, it's, you know, you can't become a new MCSE with, with doing this, but you can renew your existing ones. Um, so I went through it, um, for both exchange and, and Skype for Business to get, you know, current. Um, and, and, and this is when you've got to do it by a certain date, isn't it? Um, you know, I don't know if you have to, so I did, I kind of nailed, I, I, I kind of focused on it for two weeks straight and kind of nailed, banged it all out for both. And, you know, so, like, and like what Mr. Edmund says in the article, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that, there's some, some great, I, mean, I think generally it's very cool, but you can tell, I mean, you know, the, the, it was built on content, not the content as it exists today to do this is not, you know, na- you know natives, I would, so to speak, to use a phrase. Um, so you'll have, you know, some modules where there's, the, all the questions are all, like, the answers are given to you, right? You can't, there is no wrong answer, so it's not really a test so much. So you're kind of like, it's a freebie, it's like, great, when you got hours of these to do, like, a, a freebie's nice, but... It's not really testing anything, so you, you know you don't really feel like I earned this at the end. I will just put it that way. You know, you just go through the moves, click mouse. I did learn a bunch of stuff that I didn't know, especially on, th- on 365 and some hybrid stuff that I really you know and stuff on freaking uh, DLP. And I swear to God, I wanted to, I was like literally banging my head into the into the because <laughs> you basically you know you don't have to actually watch the content, but if you answer the assessments too many times that are real wrong, they'll make you. You can't finish the assessment the test without watching literally like. Like, you know, it still doesn't make you do, like, you know, the exact literal real time, but you have to go through every one of the modules and, and, and watch it to, the, for, to unlock the, the, the answers again. So, so you know, some of these... To me, like I said, I did it pretty diligently for a couple weeks straight, and um, I guess some you blow through, some, like, took me, like, an hour to get through one. Like, the DLP ones, you know, not not my favorite subject, you know, <laughs> I'll be honest. So, and I, I felt like a, like a bag of hammers trying to get through some of those, you know. And so, you know, the answer's right there, and I'm taking, you know, if you go through it and think, like, you, 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 know, you know, you don't have to take notes, a lot of it you don't have to, right? You can just go through things, and they, each one of the, the decks has got a, or module's got a power associated PowerPoint, but again, there's where it goes. You know, there's, there's some kind of inconsistencies sometimes because the PowerPoint might just have some like a couple like uh, you know like intro slides and no real data that you need for the answers at the end. You actually have to read and listen, you know, listen to the the content through. Some PowerPoint, some you don't have to actually read and look at the content. The PowerPoint deck's got pretty much everything you would need. You just go back, 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 back. So like you know, if it was consistent, you could you know say it would take X amount of time. But since some Sorry. of it you actually really have to dig in. Like it took me a couple of weeks, pretty solid, of just going through a few hours a day, 
you know, banging them out um, and and getting them both for you know, Lincoln, you know, for Scott Business Exchange. So, so I mean, this was just for recertification, yeah. Correct. Right. So if you got your so right now, because I was, as I was in a boat, I mean, I, I chart, you know, I charter members, you know, I always I always get mine first. As soon as like 2013 came out, you know, exchange and 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 link 2013 came out, I got you know my my I passed my test. Um, so, you know, up, you know, and the same thing with, with server, I was up. Now, I, I wouldn't took the upgrade test for that one the hard way because that, 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 that came up before this bit. And I don't even know if the server's on it. And let me just say the 70 was in the 980, the upgrade test for, for your MCSE. Oh, that sucks. Sucks, 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 sucks. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, please, but if you, anyone if taking you it, it sucks. Uh, for, for the 2013 one, do you just, are you just recertified on 2013? Well, remember, they don't care about product versions anymore, right? And MCSE messaging, it doesn't, you know, long ago they stopped, uh, the, you know, there's no, it doesn't matter if you're 2013 or 2000, you know, if, if the system existed since 2007 days, as it does did now, it wouldn't make any difference, right, honestly. No, no versions in the cloud, Steve. Right, exactly. Oh, but, but <laughs> Good one. <laughs> these, well, actually, they've had two these as well. These are on-premises products mostly, though, that you're certified for. And I know that I I, I was and I wasn't sure. I'm not an expert on certifications, right? <laughs> but I wasn't sure that if you take the two 2013 exams and get MCSC messaging, or you take the single 2016 exam and you get MCSC messaging, well, they're, they're the same. Yeah. Well, yeah. There's no. And you know, and to be quite honest, the upgrade tests kind of suck. I was looking at. I was getting ready, and that's and that's how I even I, I stumbled across. You know, when when he when Mr. Redden put his article out. I um I was like really because I was just about to get ready because my my um this was a few months ago my um messaging was going to be up was already up in like April um and then my communication was going to be up in July this month right so I'm like all right well I got at least I'll get messaging first because I'm already like decertified and then I'll you know so I, you know I was going to just really you know begin the process of getting started and so I was trying to look at the um, upgrade tests um for the new products and you know they kind of suck you know <laughs> especially the exchange one I mean there's like Eighty questions or something. I don't forget what it was now, but like, it was like, looked like it was a lot of work. So I'm like, well, this seems to be a lot less work for me. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, it really doesn't matter what version you know you're on anymore. I mean, I probably personally, you could argue, you could say, yeah, I know, I'm, you know, yeah, you're not really certified on the new version. Um, but let's be honest, between 2015 and 2016, non-prem, really, is there anything that's really changed? You know, half the test, uh, 365 stuff anyway. So what's it matter, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, but, but I, I mean, if you know the content then well. You'd think that the recertification option would be the easy one, but it sounds like it. it, it well, I mean, I, I, I would argue like, this is pretty easy for you to. I mean, this doesn't take a lot of time and certainly no money. I mean, it's all free, which is kind of cool because you know, when, when all things being equal, you're spending a buck fifty per test, right? So, I mean, mm. you know, I mean, this was all all, all cost me with some time. Um, yeah, well, I mean, to be honest, I mean, I, I did a lot of them while I was running on the on elliptical. You know, I mean, I just you know, I had my you know, I did them a lot of them on my phone. So you stand in the garage having a cigarette. I knocked out a module. I mean, so it's kind of cool. You could just like you know, sort of wherever you you know, standing in line at the store, you could you know, bump, you know, bang out a couple at least a couple assessments. So I mean, it, I think it's a good thing. You'd have, have, have to show the guy at the end of the camera. Your phone. <laughs> Prove you've got you haven't got all the answers tattooed on it. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. I'm I'm sold. Yeah, but. Yeah, no, again, like I said, I mean, does it, I, I would argue, and this is one of the things Mr. Redman kind of pointed out, I mean, it does, I think it devalues the certification a little bit because it really is not that hard. It takes some time, 
But I mean, you know, if you if you you, you, you can't fail anything, you eventually if you take it enough times. And trust me, like I said on the DLP ones, oh my God, I cannot tell you how many times I even had like a, like a spreadsheet of like missed answers. I'm like, I don't even know what the, I can't find the answer. And I don't know what the question is anyway. I, you know, so uh, I, I I think there could be some confusion there because there are for Microsoft partners, there are some very simple qualifications that people have to do, and they used to be like just the sales ones, but they've they've added in technical cert. I, I, I'm, I'm using like quotes here, certifications, um, that you have to do. And, um, I think, uh, we, we had, had some that we had to do and some of the, the people, uh, who aren't that technical, uh, we're, we're doing some of them for Intune and they're like, so this is what these are the exams you guys have to do that are kind of a bit easy. Uh, and I, I think that's how we can devalue it because when you start mixing the two together, uh, you know, the, the formal exam that you used to have to go through. Uh, sounds a lot like the the simple Q and A test. Yeah, and again, these you know they're not in any way, shape, or form. I think you know at least if Microsoft, if, if, if in their mind it is as hard as doing the normal, you know what we've always been doing. There's no, it's not even close because again, you really can't fail it. There's no time limit that I know of. Um, you can get this, you can get wrong answers a million times, so you really can't fail the thing. So ultimately, all you got to do is spend some time, and you'll get recertified, which is cool on one hand. But did I really feel like I said earlier, like did I really earn anything? I mean, you know, I, I did. I definitely learned some stuff, and, and I would argue too on, on the other direction, when you're cramming for these, you know, Microsoft tests. We all have done that. We know what these, what these tests can be like, and compared to what the real world looks like, and some of these answers are just bizarro world, right? Like, you know, I learned nothing studying for these other tests, but I learned a lot actually watching some of this content because it's content mm. I should have watched in the first place when it came out. And that's um, uh, very, very true, especially with yeah. some of the server ones, where you could go into the exam and you could just give common sense answers, and there's a chance, a reasonable chance you'll pass just by going. Yeah, maybe. I, IPAM is always the answer on the server test. With me, whenever you see <laughs> IPAM, that's always the answer. <laughs> I, actually, I must I think that that's what I did. That was where I should put the most. I, I don't get involved with any of that stuff anymore. No, mind. I know, right? Yeah, it's like, okay, IPAM is the answer. <laughs> I, I don't know if you're the answer. But, I, the answer. <laughs> but that, that was the one thing I didn't bother revising. Yeah, so like I said, I mean, it's worth, you know, definitely read Mr. Redman's article and uh, kind of like look through the stuff and, uh, um, I think it's cool on one hand. I'd like to see where it goes, you know, and if they make it harder, but, you know, still free and online. Uh, there's no that, shame you know. in it either, you know. Uh, jo- John A. Cook recommended you can have a smoke <laughs> in your garage. Well, you <laughs> Become an MCZ while smoking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, okay, and that uh, pretty much does it for exchange topics for this episode. Uh, a couple events we want to chat about real quick uh microsoft ignite in atlanta last week of september so who is going me yep yep i'm in the game for that one i'll be there too so uh, uh we'll, we'll have a good time uh we are not doing uh, a party this year like we have in years past it just takes too much from a logistical point of view but uh we will definitely be there so uh hunt us down and say hi and tell us how much you love or hate our podcast so we look forward to to hearing from you uh, next up, UC Day, uh, mailing list for more information about a dedicated UC and cloud conference uh, handle, uh, happening on the 24th of October uh, in the heart of the UK. So check out ucday.co.uk. Uh, UC Birmingham User Group uh, is having uh, an event August 9th through the 10th. Um, we'll get a link up to that on the summary page. 
And last, uh, Unity Connect, November 16th through the 18th. Uh, check out unityconnect.com slash 2016. So hope you, hopefully you can make some of those events. And that pretty much does it for this episode of the UC Architects. Uh, I want to thank uh, John, Tom, and Steve for stopping by uh, uh, and chatting for uh, a couple hours today. Um, and thanks to Andrew, who uh, hopefully won't have too much work to edit this down. Uh, thanks, Andrew. Uh, and finally, before we go, as ever, we want to remind you that the UC Architects are online. Visit our website at uh, theucarchitects.com. Follow us on Twitter at theucarchitects. Check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash theucarchitects. And uh, check out our group in LinkedIn. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to our podcast already, you'll find us in the iTunes store. Search for us in the new WinPhone, uh, Windows Phone 8.1 podcast app or subscribe to the podcast using the RSS feed in your podcast downloader, such as uh, the iPhone. Uh, see our website for links to everything on the show today. And uh, we'll see you back here at the next episode. Thank you.